Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 18, Psalm 69, verses 1 through 18, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, and Matthew chapter 10, 24 through 33. In his inaugural address in 1933, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt famously said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And some might add grizzly bears. Fear is part of human nature. No disrespect to the former president, but his statement isn't exactly true. There are many things that we should legitimately fear. The right amount of fear, when it is based on fact, can motivate us to take proper action. Fearing skin cancer can cause someone to use sunblock before spending a day on the lake. Or fear of injury can cause someone to wear their seatbelt when they get in a car. At the same time, fears which are not based in fact can cause a person to do something dumb. A person with paranoid schizophrenia often refuses to take the very medication that can make them well because they don't trust the person who gives it to them. Fear is often complicated. There can be competing fears. The fear of skin cancer that motivates one to wear sunblock competes with the fear of looking goofy because of white streaks from the very minerals in sunblock that protect the skin. Or perhaps there's the competing fear of getting sunblock stains on one's clothes. Speaking of clothes, some people say they don't want to wear a seatbelt because they fear it will wrinkle their clothes. Like I said, there are often competing fears that attempt to motivate us to different actions. What are you afraid of? In our gospel lesson today, Jesus tells his disciples three times not to fear. He doesn't have a catchy phrase like FDR, but the facts are on his side. Jesus isn't denying that we have things to fear, but rather demonstrating that there are higher truths than what may seem most obvious, which should direct our behavior. Jesus addresses the three fears of disrespect, death, and denial, while modeling for us a life of fearlessness born of love. In verse 25, Jesus says, If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus is pointing out that his ministry is starting to get some resistance from the Pharisees. We'll see in chapter 12, some thought his miracles came from Satan. Jesus was warning his disciples of the disrespect that they face. If he himself is being compared to the Lord of Flies, then it is all the more certain that his followers will face similar disrespect as those of his household. Jesus continues in the next verse with, so have no fear of them. This is important because Jesus is acknowledging the very real fear of his followers regarding disrespect. Much more so than today, disrespect had a greater reach and a greater impact. The reach was greater because if a husband lost the respect of his community, that carried over to his wife and kids. Today, we tend to individualize unacceptable, unacceptable behavior more so that the societal price is paid more heavily 
by the one who did the behavior than by his or her immediate family. The impact of disrespect was greater because as an honor and shame culture, Judaism held that those worthy of shame were to be outcasts, and time did not heal all wounds. Jesus, uh, sorry, just as we look at the anguish in Jeremiah today from his words in the Old Testament reading, he curses the day he was born. He calls himself a laughingstock and ends with the question, why did I come forth from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? And we see the same sentiment echoed in today's psalm. Jesus was warning his disciples that they faced the same challenges as Jeremiah. Today, it is not uncommon to hear of a pastor who was fired due to a moral failing, but is then returned to the pastorate just a few years later. I'm not here to argue that that's right or wrong, but it is clear that there is a difference, a significant difference, between the culture of Jesus and ours today. Disrespect was a big deal back then, with heavy costs. The disciples were justified in their fear. But Jesus needed his team not to fear. They all had joined in the early days when resistance was minor or non-existent. Mostly there was awe and joy surrounding the ministry of Jesus in the early days. It was easy to be his follower then. Now as his ministry was maturing, the resistance was growing, and with it, the cost of following him. Jesus had to strengthen their resolve. They hadn't signed up for this. All of them surely had families, parents, brothers, sisters, and in the case of Peter, a wife, who would all suffer for their disciples' involvement. They had to wonder, is this worth it? Jesus wasn't cold and uncaring, nor was he ignorant. He understood the fear and addressed it. Though it is different, fear of disrespect is a strong motivator today. Many Christians keep their faith silent for fear of what others might think. When I was a young adult, I was often self-conscious about praying in a restaurant before a meal. It's silly, but I was, even though the only comment I ever received from anyone was an attaboy from a nearby table. I imagine all of you probably have similar stories. We let fear of disrespect hold us back. As we're about to see, fear of disrespect is the least of our worries. The second fear is more direct, death. Verse 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus knows that while the fear of disrespect is very real, the fear of death at the hands of those who oppose him will be a growing reality as his ministry continues. The way Jesus lays this out, there are two competing fears. One is the fear of physical death at the hands of men, while the other is the fear of spiritual death as a result of rejecting Yahweh, the judge. Jesus tells his disciples not to fear 
physical death. After all, we all die sometime, and the pain is very temporary. However, if we reject the call of Jesus, then we are choosing spiritual death and its eternal consequences. So ironically, in his speech about not fearing, Jesus tells them they should fear spiritual death. But in doing so, what he's really saying is to, not, is to let the fear of judgment for turning our backs on God keep us faithful. Unlike physical death, this is not something that can just happen to us. Spiritual death is something we choose, and in that sense, is not something we need fear. Jesus supports his case for not fearing the opposition in an unexpected way. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What does that even mean? Well, when will all things be revealed? At the final judgment, or using last week's metaphor, in the harvest. So Jesus is saying not to fear the disrespect or death that can result from the opposition because the judgment is coming when all things will be revealed. Hmm. Jesus isn't saying don't fear death because it won't hurt. He isn't saying don't fear disrespect because it won't cost you or your families. No, Jesus is not removing the cost of discipleship. Instead, he is promising something far greater in eternity that makes it all worth it. Here's a sneak preview. We see the same thing in next week's gospel text. That's free of charge, by the way. Does anyone else here have just a twinge of fear regarding the final judgment? Are you all so confident that like David, you say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Every deed you've ever done, every deed I've ever done, will be judged. I can't help but imagine it's like a giant stadium in heaven where God will call me forward and with the stands full of the heavenly host, He'll show the movie of my life on the big screen, in surround sound, with nothing edited out. It makes me cringe just to think about it. And yet, Jesus is saying the final judgment is the reason for us not to fear. How does that add up? The answer is justice. The wages of sin is death. But if you have put your faith in Jesus, it is his death that paid the price for our freedom. So while the final judgment may not sound pleasant, we have nothing to fear. I imagine the judgment of Christians will be like having laughing gas when undergoing a medical procedure. You are aware of what's going on, but it doesn't hurt. Those who oppose God, however, who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, have to face the final judgment on their own merits. Now that is truly terrifying. They may malign those of Christ's household in this life, but truly we should pity them for what lies ahead if they don't accept Christ. Knowing 
that all that is done in secret will be revealed in the final judgment completely changes how we see things in this life. The final fear that Jesus mentions is denial. This is not like the others. Jesus tells us not to fear disrespect or physical death, but being denied by Christ is a worthy fear. Verses 32 and 33 say, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Being denied by Christ before Yahweh is the worst possible fate. It's another way of saying, I never knew you. Depart from me. Those who hear these words are on the wrong side of the judgment. But those who truly put their faith in Christ will never hear those words. We're the first part of the equation. We are the ones who acknowledge Jesus before others and receive his acknowledgement in return. In that sense, we have nothing to fear. I doubt you fear that one day you'll drink motor oil, right? Anyone afraid that they might suddenly start guzzling Valvoline? No, of course not. No rational person has such a desire, so we need not fear it. In the same sense, we need not fear being denied by Christ as long as we have accepted him into our hearts. 1 John 5.13 says, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So we don't have to wonder, am I saved or not? The Holy Spirit gives us assurance of salvation. John Wesley was a big proponent of this biblical truth. So while denial by Christ is the worst thing that can happen to a person, we need not fear it if we've given ourselves to him. So here we are, sitting safely in our church, but if you are listening, you can hear Jesus ask, what are you afraid of? If you are more afraid of disrespect or physical death than of Christ's denial and the judgment, then you will live to please the world. You will seek the respect of others over the welfare of your own soul. However, if you fear the denial of Christ and the judgment more than you fear your fellow man, then you will live a life of obedience to Christ. The first option is truly a life of fear. The second is a life of fearlessness. Jesus said three times not to fear, but that was only because he was talking to those who were following him. Those who choose to resist Christ have every reason to be afraid. Seeking to please Jesus and serve his kingdom is the surest road to fearlessness. When we live with our eyes fixed on eternity, all other fears that would hold us back fall away. But fear is real and powerful. It takes something just as powerful to overcome it. So while Jesus tells us not to fear, I say the way to do that is to act with love. Love makes a parent stand between his child and a wild animal. 
Love makes a soldier storm a bunker to save his buddies. Love makes a man give up his seat on their life raft so that his wife can have it while he stays on the sinking ship. We probably won't face such dramatic circumstances, but love motivates action in big ways and small, despite the risks. Love is the great courage maker. Just look at Jesus. He loved more deeply and purely than anyone, and he also had more to fear than anyone, yet never flinched, not for a second. Many people fear the worst, but Jesus actually knew with certainty that the worst was ahead of him. He warned his disciples not to fear while having much to fear himself. But he modeled fearlessness and love perfectly, not through feelings or words alone, but in action. If you want to live fearlessly for Christ, follow the example of Jesus by putting love into action every day. And when your journey ends, you will hear the words, well done. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.